This Dharma Talk is brought to you by the Chicago Zen Meditation Community. Learn about us and our teacher, Miyoshi Thompson, at zenchicago.org. Good evening, everybody. Thanks, Miyoshi, for inviting me to talk and for everyone kind of here and everyone tuning in at home on the, on the podcast. Um, <laughs> So um, the kind of the theme for tonight's talk is uh, letting go, um, and I hadn't like planned on sharing this quote, but I was like listening to some music this morning. Um, uh, it was a record uh, by is an artist and musician named Brian Eno, um, and he like he's done a number of different things, but he's like sort of it's done a lot of uh, art installations, but also what's called generative music. So he'll like put kind of notes and different sounds into a program and it the program takes it and kind of plays it in an infinite number of ways so it would take years for the same phrase or same thing to repeat um so you have this piece of music that's just always developing and changing and impermanent in, in a lot of ways um and he took that concept and also did it with visual art uh so he did it with like digital paintings where he sort of set up this installation called 77 million paintings where there's a they can overlap in a number of different ways and it would take years and years and years for it to repeat in the same way. Uh, so the music was like a sort of a, a snippet of that uh, art exhibit and he so but there was like a little phrase uh, or a little uh, explanation of it so I wanted to read it because I think it relates to our talk, to the talk tonight. So one of the first installation versions of 77 million paintings was at the Swarovski Museum in Austria. I had, a still, I had a still camera on a tripod so I could get a few snaps of this new thing, and the very first thing that came up looked quite amazing. I thought, oh, I must take a picture of that. After all, it's, likely to ever it's not likely to ever happen again. Mm -hmm. So I took a picture, and then about a minute later, oh my, that's good too. And on it went. Every couple of minutes, there was another lovely surprise. I spent much of that first day taking pictures until at the end, I had about 800 shots. It began to dawn on me that I was probably never going to look at any of them again <laughs> because something not new would come up that would just be just as good. Uh, that was interesting to, for me, uh, getting to the frame of mind where I felt I didn't have to hold on to everything, that I could just enjoy it and let it pass into history. For somebody whose career had thus far, uh, anyway, been built around capturing ephemeral things and making them permanent, recording this was a big conceptual shift. Um, I accepted that it was going to keep changing and it was going to keep surprising me and that no moment of it was more important than any other. And that was also what I found with the music. You just have to enjoy it as it passes away into memory. You can't hold it still. So, um, so it's just like a kind of a perfect embodiment of my talk tonight and I didn't expect it. As much it happens with like when you're studying Zen and reading about it, it'll show up when you least expect it and show up in areas that are, that are unexpected. So... Um, so like a few uh, weeks ago, I came across an article uh, through Lions Roar uh, called Advice for Someone Who's Dying uh, by Ajahn Chah. Um, he's a, a monk in the Theravada practices, so kind of more associated with Southeast Asia and closer to kind of Indian Buddhism. Um, and like Theravada means teaching of the elders. Yeah. yeah so like... Um, so it's like a little bit different than our lineage, but there's a lot of overlap, it seems. Um, he was a forest monk for over 70 years, which is like amazing. Um, so um, yeah, so he, he like, this article was just like a, a letter he had written to one of his students that was dying, 
um, that like sort of hit home. Um, like a part of my last talk, I was talking about my mom's kind of battle with cancer over the past couple of years. Um, and just like kind of coming to terms with that impermanence and, and sort of my own kind of mortality and that of everyone I love and all those things. Um, but it also relates to even like sort of, uh, my own kind of running injuries that I've been dealing with and, uh, just everyday life stuff. So I figured I would bring parts of this in, uh, I broke it down into bits so we can kind of have some discussion as well. Um, so I'm going to read the first part and then pause. Uh, today I have brought nothing material of any substance to offer you, only Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha. Listen well, you should understand that even the Buddha himself, with his great store of accumulated virtue, could not avoid physical death. When he reached old, old age, he relinquished his body and let go of its heavy burden. Um, so that like first part, uh, it, it stood out to me, especially that le the, I un had underlined, like he relinquished his body and let go of its heavy burden. Because uh, usually, like, we've talked about, like, the body as refuge or the body as being grounding or the body as being that thing we're going to as part of the breath. Um, and, like, sort of um, talking about letting it go and relinquishing it and it, talking about it as a heavy burden, it sort of made me think about the way in which, like, the body is, like, the closest thing to us that's a reminder of impermanence. Because, like, it's right here. You know, we can't escape. And much of the time, our mind will try to get in the way and distract us from ailments or illness or whatever or we'll get fixated on the outside world, uh, but we sort of forget that right here is that sort of mirror that sort of says, hey, <laughs> things are changing. <laughs> uh, things are impermanent. Um, so, uh, so I kind of appreciated that and, and sort of this idea that like sort of not even the Buddha, right, is, is above impermanence. Um, so that really kind of spoke to me, but... Um, any initial thoughts before I move on? Any things that kind of come to mind? I think the idea of uh, the, like releasing his burden, it made me think of, um, I don't know if this is true, but maybe like at the end of life, you know, we're clinging on to life, right? We all want to go forward. But at some point, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, it's just like, and I'll go on to talk about this later, but, you know, just the idea of, like, taking possession of my mom and her life, right? Like, I'm, I'm, uh, the thoughts I've been having in the past couple of years, I'm losing her. When is she going to leave me? As if it's me and mine, right? My, as if my mom is this object that is mine. <laughs> uh, and through, I think through, letting go, right? I've been able to be more present with her as we've experienced these ups and downs. Um, anyhow, and it's not a destination. I have those moments where I get like caught up in that again, but through being willing to sort of let go of my ideas or let go of these attachments and let go of these things I've, I've had for years, my whole life, um, it has allowed me to be more present with whatever's there. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I kind of read the same thing out of it. So. Um, towards the end of his life, uh, 
In the sutras, it sounds like Buddha had quite a bit of pain, hmm. which he bore mindfully. Uh, but still, it was there. And uh, at one point, he told Ananda um, that his body was like a cart that was held together with straps. Hmm. It's like if he had this, it's, it's falling apart. Yeah. It's only being held together temporarily. So, um, yeah, not only uh, was he not immune, but he like, was wholeheartedly into that process. Yeah. Really aware of the death of Thanks. Keep reading. You can compare it to household utensils that you've had for a long time cups, saucers, plates, and so on. When you first had them, they were clean and shining, but now after using them for so long, they're starting to wear out. Some are already broken, some have disappeared, and those that are left are deteriorating. They have no stable form, and it's their nature to be like that. Your body is the same way. It has been continually changing right from the day you were born, through childhood and youth, until it has reached old age. You accept that. The Buddha said that conditions uh, sankaras, whether they are internal conditions, bodily conditions, external conditions, are not self. Their nature is to change. Contemplate this truth until you see it clearly. The Buddha taught us to look at the body, to contemplate it, and to come to terms with its nature. We must be able to be at peace with the body, whatever state it is in. The Buddha taught that we should ensure that it is only the body that is locked up in jail and not let the mind be imprisoned along with it. Um, so I thought, I thought that was like really, really helpful. Just in terms of thinking about a larger sense of like self and like observing self and just like, or just even beyond self um, of this idea that like our body is of the world and of nature and it, it's gonna change wherever, whether we want to or not, but our minds can kind of, we can use our minds to practice and we can use our minds for good and being present um, and staying focused or on the path. Um, but if we don't, right, if we like sort of allow that sort of impermanence of the thing that's right here and get like lost in uh, clinging, uh, it sort of drags us down and slows us down and like really sort of uh, throws us into suffering uh, more than we need to, uh, or more than we need to. So um, that, really, that imagery of the like sort of body being locked up in jail with the mind kind of floating freely <laughs> and not being constrained. Uh, sort of really sort of caused me to pause and, and think so um, I don't know any reactions to that things it makes you think about or things it brings to mind Keep even if your house is flooded or burnt to the ground whatever the danger that threatens it let it concern only the house there's a flood, don't let it flood your mind. If there's a fire, don't let it burn your heart. Let it be merely the house, that which is external to you, that is flooded and burned. I picked this before the recent fires. Um, allow the mind to let go of its attachments, the time is ripe. The Buddha said, the rich or the poor, young or old, human or animal, no being in this world can maintain itself in any one state for long. Everything experiences change and estrangement. This is a fact of life that we can do nothing to remedy. But the Buddha said that we can, uh, what we can do is contemplate the body and mind so as to see their impersonality, see them as neither of them as me or mine. 
they have mere, mere they have merely a provisional reality it's like this house it's only nominally yours you couldn't take it with you anywhere it's the same with your wealth your possessions and your family they're all yours only in name they don't really belong to you they belong to nature now this truth doesn't apply to you alone everyone is in the same position even the lord buddha and his enlightened disciples they differed from us in only one respect and that was their acceptance of the way things are they saw it as uh, it could be no other way this whole body is steadily degenerating and the buddha taught us to see that it doesn't belong to us it is natural for the body to be this way because all conditioned phenomena are subject to change how else would you have it be actually there's nothing wrong with the way the body is it's the body that causes you suffering. It's, your wrong, it's not the body that causes you suffering. It's the wrong, your wrong thinking. When you see the right wrongly, there's bound to be confusion. I like the way you phrase that. <laughs> when you see the right wrongly, there's bound to be confusion. Um, so, I mean, I already kind of mentioned this, uh, but I, I had, like, for, for a long time, like, my, you know, my mom is important to me, and... Uh, I'm attached to her and, and um, but it, I've had this like lifelong fear of like, you know, like when are my parents going to die? But specifically, you know, my, my mom and uh, it's caused me a lot of suffering and pain and anxiety, like being so attached to, uh, and sort of seeing it, seeing her as almost that like sort of, yeah, like it said, like it's only nominally yours. It's not me or mine. Uh, they belong to nature and that's you know seeing like that really caused me to pause and sort of look at it and sort of look at the situation which I still view as like really unfair and challenging uh, but that's the reality right like that's you know if if we don't if we, uh, don't see things as they are um, and sort of accept that like it sort of talked about like acceptance of the way things are I'm str I struggle so much more and I have so much anguish uh, and that's about me, right? That's about self getting in the way of being present with pain, and then I'm not able to be there for my loved ones or uh, be present in my daily life. Um, so I also found that, like, just that even that at the end, like, when you see the right wrongly, there's bound to be confusion, which is so true, and it speaks to... Um, I, and I think why Zen and, and sort of Buddhist teachings pop up so much, and even in places like Brian Eno or wherever it may be, um, because it, it, and what it, what speaks to me is just because it feels like truth, um, and and accurate. So, um, I don't know any thoughts related to that last part or things. I like the whole thing about seeing the right wrongly. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, you know we talked about being attached to the body. And actually, that's not body as it is. No. That's body as you know. We wish it would be, or we want it to be, or or it used to be. It's what? Or it used or to the be. way it used to be. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I guess there would be nothing wrong with being attached to a body that, as it is, because as it is, it's, it's ever changing. Know, a flow. Yeah. Right. And it would be an unusual kind of attachment that we would have to that. But still, there would be an acceptance of the way things are. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I was kind of thinking the same along the same lines mm -hmm. about how, you know, you were talking about how the body can be a prison, but it's just kind of how you think about it because culturally there's so much attachment around your body and what mm -hmm. it looks like and all that and how I like.
right, like the seeing the right wrongly, because I just feel like you can often get trapped in like seeing your body differently than it as it is, and there's just a lot of weight with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and 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 denying it, right? And we're we're encouraged to deny what is, right? And and we're encouraged to see the right wrongly. Uh, and how much suffering does that cause? You know, a lot. Yeah. yeah. Especially with body, because we can have such judgments about mm-hmm. it, right? And so, you know, sometimes the, the attachment is not to preserve what is, but to make it be the way we wish it were. Yeah. Which is another form of suffering, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, where I get tripped up is like, the idea of impermanence makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I think we're like the, the posture of control, maybe, or like, you know, trying to, I, I feel like I can control the rate of impermanence. I know, like, this is going to decay. Maybe for another couple of years, I can, like, keep it this way. You know, so it's just like, when he's starting to hurt on my bike. Right? So I'm starting to stretch, and I'm starting to like go and like get it. I'm like, maybe I can like push that off. And that's like a tricky thing because some of the stuff is just smart to do, right? But then some of it directly does. It's like don't ride as fast. <laughs> just like you know, right? You know, just I don't know. So it's like impermanence makes sense, but I think I, I think our culture also kind of <coughs> shows that it's like, well, you know, we. Things will change, but you know, maybe maybe uh, you can get to the gym and like still be on there for a little bit longer. Uh, or even just the medicine, right? Uh, it's like you know, I know people are going to pass away, but then it's like, and it makes sense. It's like maybe we can like slow the rate of this type of impermanence. You know, um, it's, it's hard for me to figure. Well, I think like with my mom's situation, like, you know, we recently, uh, like she, they, things were looking like it was progressing, but then they switched to chemo and now things are back in a, in a safe or safe place where it's not showing up on our scans anymore. Um, but I think like this, these concepts have been helpful to not get overly attached to that because this has happened before, right? And even like the following week, her blood indicator went up one point. So it's like we get this great news, and then it's like, well, because it's all. So it's the you know, with being present with illness, I think is just being very mindful of yes, you know, we we, we can appreciate this good news and and sort of feel this, and not get too attached to it to the point where we're devastated when it goes the other way. Um, and I think that's been important for me to consider of like. Just, you know, being present with whatever happens and letting go of my expectations and my desires and my sort of, uh, in some ways it's like sort of not being like naively hopeful, I guess. It's about like sort of having hope, but not being so attached to it that it causes you to suffer. Uh, And being open to whatever news we get is news. And I'm going to sort of experience that with openness and whatever it brings up in me. I don't know if that exactly relates to what you're saying, Anuj, but that's how I've been kind of considering it, is that, you know, 
it's not about, and I don't think it's about just sort of saying, well, there's medicine available, but I'm impermanent anyway, so screw it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people would say that, and that's okay. Uh, but I also think it's just like being able to be present with whatever happens. But, So it's like the water of a river. It naturally flows down the gradient. It never flows against it, and that is its nature. If a person were to go and stand on a riverbank and seeing the water flowing swiftly down its course, foolishly wanted to flow back up the gradient, mm -hmm. he would suffer. Whatever he was doing, his wrong thinking would allow him no peace of mind. He would be unhappy because of his wrong view, thinking against the, screen, uh, the stream. If he had the right view, he would see the water must inevitably flow down the gradient, but until he realizes and accepted that fact, the man would be agitated and upset. The river, the river that must flow down the gradient is like your body. Having been young, your body was, has become old and now it is meandering towards its death. Don't go wishing it were otherwise. It is not something you have the power to remedy. The Buddha told us to see things the way, uh, to see the way things are and then let go of our clinging to them. Take this feeling of letting go as your refuge. Um, keep meditating even if, it, if you feel tired and exhausted. Let your mind dwell with the breath. Um, and I mean, I've heard versions of this before, but like the the line, like taking take this feeling of letting go as your refuge, um, and it just really sort of, as I've said before, I think tonight is just like it really hit home. Is that that is my refuge right now? Is is letting go, and. Uh, really sort of acknowledging how helpless I feel uh, and being able to do and then decide to do what I can to stay present uh, and turn towards things in my life um, and remain open to them uh, because through that letting go even though there's pain there and helplessness there it's a hell of a lot easier than cleaning uh, and it's, it's a hell of a lot lighter of a journey uh, when I when I'm consciously and mindfully letting go of uh, my attachments and, and um, concepts, um, so very much so. So I, I identified with that. Um, no one would say of the water that's flowing downhill that when it gets you know down to the bottom of the hill. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we have to keep it up here because it's good here, but down there, no. We wouldn't say that, would we? No. You know, but uh, bodies and life and death are different. We have all kinds of things we want to happen with. We don't want the water to flow down here. And yeah, I think what you're saying is uh, affirm that water and bodies and everything continues to flow. It's not or stone. It's just there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the less we try to control things like that, the more we're able to actually live. Mm -hmm. Even when we're dying, we're, we're actually like able to live uh, because we're not, con you know, we're not caught up in the future that hasn't happened yet and trying to control things that are far outside of our control. Um, I'm seeing it in my mom. She's going through chemo, and uh, this chemo that's now saving her life, seemingly, or prolonging it, uh, is causing her to be nauseous a lot and tired and 
um, and she's fighting it and that, that's hard to, to watch is that like she's not only like physically suffering she's mentally suffering through sort of wanting to have a different body or different uh, be in a different place which is understandable right I think it would be hard for me if I were in her shoes to, to do that but um, it's hard to watch someone go through that like you know without sort of knowledge of letting go and being able to sort of um, be present with whatever's there and accept it um, but I think it, it's very much like trying to fight the stream and try and make it go a different direction than it's heading in um, yeah so I have a lot of thoughts about this because you know that uh, my mother died in May yeah. so uh, and uh, my experience is that impermanence is very easy to think about in general yeah. <laughs> and very hard to deal with in particular. Yeah. And uh, you, your mom is really lucky to have you, by the way. So what I'm thinking about is that I uh, negotiated in that way all the time. Uh, uh, she's been healthy until now, and she's 89 but I would leave out the last half of that sentence. And I was a complete terror to the doctors. There's got to be one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. And it was lucky in the last couple days that my son was there because he would go in and he would say, no, what the guy says is this and that. Um, and it, but it was only when she said to me, I'm too tired. And then uh, a couple hours later, uh, one of my uh, aunts uh, was there. And my mom kind of looked around the room and she said, nobody else can go with me, but you could go. So where do you want to go, Mom? I want to go, uh, Eleanor and I are going to go to the airport. <laughs> and uh, my mom and my brother Sterling were you know, she believed in an afterlife, and she said, that's what I want, I want to see my mom. And until that moment, that sort of considering impermanence in general, and dealing with it in a moment, I, I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, but when she was so clear, I could begin to bring those two together. Yeah, and I think like it was, Sometimes it takes that to like sort of, like it's like a, what a koan does or what a certain thing does. It just sort of we sort of open up and then it opens up our well, eyes. I had to that. ask myself, what am I fighting for? Yeah, exactly. What am I fighting for her? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Some idea of her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very much so. Thank you for sharing that. Because um, I think sometimes people fight it and they don't even hear it then. I've had I've been in situations with relatives or experiences where they, they keep fighting and they and the person who's who's passing away is sort of just saying let me go and they right. just continue to refu you know not acknowledge um, and that's just it, it's painful. Even if you find yourself thinking that's all right too, as long as you think wisely, don't think foolishly. If you think of your children, think of them with wisdom, not with foolishness. Whatever the mind turns to, then think and know that thing with wisdom, aware of its nature. 
If you know something with wisdom, then let it go and there's no suffering. Which I think kind of relates perfectly to what we were just kind of reflecting on. Because um, that, that's part of it. Like if we sort of accept it, then we can sort of, we don't have to fight and we don't cause ourselves to suffer, but we also don't cause undue suffering to others. I think that's also part, a big part of this as well. It's like sort of not seeing past the person or not sort of just, uh, you know, like our own agenda or the, whatever. We get lost in those things and, and we're not as present as we could be. I think I'm really struck with, um, as you're talking about letting go, how uh, similar it is to affirming. Hmm. Right? So, yeah. Um, right? We have to affirm things as they are. Right? Not as we want them to be, not as we wish them to be, but as they are. And um, the only way to do that is to let go of, you know, all of preferences that we have and all of the you know, ways we would like to control everything and affirm this is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Which is not to say that it might not make us sad. No, but it's empowering, I think. I think it's, it, it sort of helps us. Like when we affirm how things are, then we can sort of in, so, in a way control what we can control, like how we respond to it with openness. Um, but when we don't affirm what is, you know, we struggle and suffer and feel even more helpless than we already are. Yeah. What time do we have to stop? We're going to go to 25 after. Okay. Anyone can build a ho house of wooden bricks, but the Buddha taught that sort of home is not our real home. It's only nominally ours. It is a home in the world, and it follows the uh, ways of the world. Our real home is inner peace. An external material home may well be pretty, but it's not very peaceful. There's this worry in uh, then and that, this anxiety in then and that. So we say it is our real home, it is external to us. Sooner or later, we'll have to give it up. It's not a place we can live permanently because it doesn't belong, truly belong to us. It's part of the world. Our body is the same. We take it to be self, to be me and mine, but in fact, it's not really so at all. It's another worldly home. Your body has followed its natural course from birth until now. It's old and sick, and you can't forbid it from doing that. That's the way it is. Wanting it to be different would be as foolish as wanting a duck to be like a chicken. When you see that that's impossible, that the duck has to be a duck, and that a chicken has to be a chicken, and that bodies have to get old and die, you will find strength and energy. However much you want the body to go and last for a long time, it won't do that. Conditions are impermanent and unstable. Having come into being, they disappear. Having arisen, they pass away, and yet everyone wants them to be permanent. Even if you don't let go, everything is starting to leave anyway. Can you see that, how all different parts of your body are trying to slip away? Your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, everything is trying to leave because this isn't their home. You can't make a permanent home in Sankara. You can stay for a short while and then you have to go. It's like a tenant watching over his tiny little house with failing eyes. His teeth aren't so good, his ears aren't so good, his body's not so healthy, everything is leaving. So you needn't worry about anything because this isn't your real home. It's just a temporary shelter. Having come into this world, you should contemplate its nature. Everything there is preparing to disappear. Look at your body. Is there anything there that's in its original form? 
Is your skin as it used to be? Is your hair? It's not the same, is it? What has everything, where has everything gone? This is the nature of the way things are. When their time is up, condition, conditions go their way. The world is nothing to rely on. It's an endless round of disturbance and trouble, pleasures and pain. There's no peace. So understand this point that all people, all creatures are about to leave. When beings have lived an appropriate amount of time, they go their way. The rich, the poor, <coughs> the young, the old, all beings must experience this change. To put it simply, impermanence is the Buddha. If we see an impermanent phenomenon really clearly, we'll see that it's permanent in the sense that its subjection to change is unchanging. Um, yeah, so I really, I really like that. You know, the idea of the impermanence is the Buddha. I mean, it's compared to a lot of things and a lot of concepts, but um, and we'll, you know, the the idea that um, change is unchanging, <laughs> uh, which I, I really sort of appreciated. Um, I think it just the, the idea that everything is preparing to disappear, and that everything is about to leave is really important. Because it makes us really, it, it sort of keeping that close, although however painful and scary that is, it like sort of puts at least me in this place of a, more of appreciation uh, and more of be, uh, presence uh, and, and being with people, whether that's for another day, another hour, or years, is just trying to be as present as possible, uh, not cause them suffering, and not cause myself uh, suffering. Um, which is all we really can do, uh, kind of as human beings. Um, so I think that that's really was was my takeaway from the, this uh, this whole thing. But uh, it just really has me sort of considering the ways in which uh, I leave, right, or I cling, um, instead of like sort of you know wholeheartedly living uh, and, and being present for what's there, which is a whole mix of things. Uh, and it's all there to be felt and experienced. Uh, so. Any other thoughts or I thought it was especially effective when he was saying your eyes are leaving, your ears are leaving, your tongue is leaving. <laughs> we don't think that way. Well I suppose that's true, isn't it? Yeah. They're going their own way. Mm-hmm. Nick, too, with the idea of letting go and just leaving your mind in the situation. And it's an act of kindness to you. And it's an act of kindness to the people around you, most likely doing that work. But also, I do think it's an act of kindness to your mom at a very like, deep level. Um, so there's a way that once you can do that, I mean, I would imagine she'd see that you were going to be okay, too. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it's like a parent, you know, like, like having Marin, like, it's just like, the only hope I, like, hope I have is that I'm, like, more impermanent than her. <laughs> you know, like, it's going to happen when I'm wrong first, but then to that, it's like preparing her for the day that that happens, right? And um, it's kind of a weird thing watching, you know, she's not even two years old, I'm thinking about like, one day I'm gonna have to leave, you know? And she's 
watching and go, hey, and like the idea of like, I feel like she can let me go, you know, like, that would be great, you know, because I just know, like understanding these concepts, like everyone's leaving, everything is leaving. Um, like, it reminds me of the Lord of the Rings when the elves are leaving. Uh, and it's just so poignant because it just makes everything so precious because it's like you know, they all take taking the magical with them and it's basically gone mm-hmm. and for, it, for me and like anyway so I think at least for you just doing this work and it's going to ease her suffering too mm-hmm. kind of like the bigger point. yeah thanks yeah, your mom can look at you and say he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. What a great gift. Yeah. Yeah, and, not, and like, I think that, that that's, like, huge. I think it's being able to sort of, like, and it, it talk, like, the, there's more in here than I could we could go over tonight, but it sort of reflects sort of on that idea a little bit about what he's saying to his student, which is, like, let people help you, let people take care of you, and sort of repay their debt. Uh and that like spoke to me too because it very much is like being able no no matter what like you know I don't have thirty years maybe to repay my debt right but I like I can repay my debt right now by being present and uh, letting go of my sort of wants and desires and being present with what's there rather than sort of pushing it away and sort of saying I don't want to see that I don't want to talk I don't want to hear that um, I think it is really important and sort of it models something that we all struggle with I think. Which is, you know, distraction and leaving and kind of turning away. Yeah.